0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Udolpho Volume 2, Chapter 9, Part 2 of 2 Early on the following morning, as Emily crossed the hall to the ramparts, she heard a noisy bustle in the courtyard, and the clatter of horses' hoofs, Such unusual sounds excited her curiosity, and instead of going to the ramparts she went to an upper casement, from whence she saw, in the court below, a large party of horsemen dressed in singular but uniform habit, and completely, though variously, armed. They wore a kind of short jacket, composed of black and scarlet, and several of them had a cloak of plain black, which covering the person entirely hung down to the stirrups, As one of these cloaks glanced aside, she saw beneath daggers, apparently of different sizes, tucked into the horseman's belt. She further observed that these were carried in the same manner by many of the horsemen without cloaks, most of whom bore also pikes or javelins. On their heads were the small Italian caps, some of which were distinguished by black feathers, Whether these caps gave fierce air to the countenance, or that these countenances they surmounted had naturally such an appearance, Emily thought she had never till then seen an assemblance of faces so savage and terrific. While she gazed, she almost fancied herself surrounded by Banditi, and a vague thought glanced athwart her fancy, that Montoni was the captain of the group before her, and that this castle was to be the place of rendezvous. The strange and horrible supposition was but momentary, though her reason could supply none more probable, and though she discovered, among the band, the strangers she had formerly noticed with so much alarm, who were now distinguished by the black plume. While she continued gazing, Cavini, Verezzi, and Bertolini came forth from the hall, habited like the rest, except that they wore hats with a mixed plume of black and scarlet, and that their arms differed from those of the rest of the party. As they mounted their horses, Emily was struck with the exulting joy expressed on the visage of Verezzi, while Cavini was gay, yet with a shade of thought on his countenance. And as he managed his horse with dexterity, his graceful and commanding figure, which exhibited the majesty of a hero, had never appeared to more advantage. Emily, as she observed him, thought he somewhat resembled Valancourt in the spirit and dignity of his person, but she looked in vain for the noble benevolent countenance, the soul's intelligence which overspread the features of the latter. As she was hoping, she scarcely knew why that Montoni would accompany the party, he appeared at the hall door, but unaccoutred. Having carefully observed the horsemen, conversed a while with the cavaliers, and bidden them farewell, the band wheeled round the court, and, led by Verezzi, issued forth under the portcullis. Montoni followed to the portal, and gazing after them for some time, Emily then retired from the casement, and now, certain of being unmolested, went to walk on the ramparts, from whence she soon after saw the party winding among the mountains to the west, "'appearing and disappearing between the woods "'till distance confused their figures, "'consolidated their numbers, "'and only a dingy mass appeared moving along the heights. "'Emily observed that no workmen were on the ramparts, "'and that the repairs of the fortifications seemed to be completed. "'While she sauntered thoughtfully on, "'she heard distant footsteps, "'and raising her eyes saw several men lurking under the castle walls "'who were evidently not workmen.' but looked as if they would have accorded well with the party, which was gone. Wondering where Annette had hid herself so long, who might have explained some of the late circumstances, and then considering that Madame Montoni was probably risen, she went to her dressing-room, where she mentioned what had occurred, but Madame Montoni either would not, or could not, give any explanation of the event. The Signor's reserve to his wife on this subject was probably nothing more than usual. Yet to Emily it gave an air of mystery to the whole affair that seemed to hint there was danger, if not villainy, in his schemes. Annette presently came, and as usual was full of alarm, to her lady's eager inquiries of what she had heard among the servants. She replied, Ah, madame, nobody knows what is all about, but old Carlo, he knows well enough, I dare say, but he is as close as his master. Some say the signor is going out to frighten the enemy, as they call it, but where is the enemy? Then others say he is going to take away somebody's castle, but I am sure he has room enough in his own without taking other people's, and I am sure I should like it a great deal better if there were more people to fill it. Ah, you will soon have your wish, I fear, replied Madame Montoni. No, Madame. "'but such ill-looking fellows are not worth having. "'I mean such gallant, smart, merry fellows as Ludovico, "'who is always telling droll stories to make one laugh. "'It was but yesterday he told me such a humoursome tale. "'I can't help laughing at it now. "'Says he? "'Well, we can dispense with the story,' said her lady. "'Ah,' continued Annette, "'he sees a great way farther than other people.' Now he sees into all the Signora's meaning, without knowing a word about the matter. How is that? said Madame Montoni. Why, he says, but he made me promise not to tell, and I would not disoblige him for the world. What is it he made you promise not to tell? said her lady sternly. I insist upon knowing immediately. What is it he made you promise? Oh, Madame, cried Annette, "'I would not tell for the universe.' "'I insist upon your telling this instant,' said Madame Antoni. "'Oh, dear Madame, I would not tell for a hundred sequins.' "'You would not have me forswear myself, Madame,' exclaimed Annette. "'I will not wait another moment,' said Madame Antoni. Annette was silent. "'The Signor shall be informed of this directly,' rejoined her mistress. "'He will make you discover all.' It is Ludovico who has discovered, said Annette. But for mercy's sake, madame, don't tell the Signor, and you shall know all directly. Madame Montoni said that she would not. Well then, madame, Ludovico says that the Signor, my master, is, is, that is, he only thinks so, and anybody, you know, madame, is free to think, that the Signor, my master, is, is, is what? said her lady impatiently that the signor, my master, is going to be a great robber, that is, he is going to rob on his own account, to be, but I am sure I don't understand what he means, to be a captain of robbers. Art thou in thy senses, Annette, said Madame Montoni. or is this a trick to deceive me? Tell me this instant what Ludovico did say to thee. No evocations, this instant. Nay, Madame, cried Annette, if this is all I am to get for having told the secret. Her mistress thus continued to insist, and Annette to protest, till Montoni himself appeared, who bade the latter leave the room, and she withdrew, trembling for the fate of her story. Emily also was retiring, but her aunt desired she would stay, and Montoni had so often made her a witness of their contention that he no longer had scruples on that account. I insist upon knowing this instant, Signor, what all this means, said his wife. What are all these armed men, whom they tell me I have gone out about? Montoni answered her only with a look of scorn, and Emily whispered something to her. It does not signify, said her aunt, I will know, and I will know, too, what the castle has been fortified for. Come, come, said Montoni. Other business brought me here. I must be trifled with no longer i have immediate occasion for what i demand those estates must be given up without fear of their contention or i may find a way they shall never be given up interrupted madame montoni they never shall enable you to carry on your wild schemes but what are these i will know do you expect the castle to be attacked do you expect enemies am i to be shut up here to be killed in a siege Sign the writing, said Montoni, and you shall know more. What enemy can be coming, continued his wife. Have you entered into the service of the state? Am I to be blocked up here to die? That may possibly happen, said Montoni, unless you yield to my demand. For, come what may, you shall not quit the castle till then. Madame Montoni burst into loud lamentation, which she as suddenly checked, considering... That her husband's assertions might be only artifices employed to extort her consent. She hinted this suspicion, and in the next moment told him also that his designs were not so honourable as to serve the state, and that she believed he had only commenced as a captain of Mediti to join the enemies of Venice in plundering and laying waste the surrounding country. Montoni looked at her for a moment with a steady and stern countenance, while Emily trembled, and his wife for once thought she had said too much. "'You shall be removed this night,' said he, to the East Turret. "'There, perhaps, you may understand the danger of offending a man "'who has an unlimited power over you.' "'Emily now fell at his feet, and with tears of terror supplicated for her aunt, "'who sat, trembling with fear and indignation, now ready to pour forth execrations,' and now to join the intercessions of Emily. Montoni, however, soon interrupted these entreaties with an horrible oath, and as he burst from Emily, leaving his cloak in her hand, she fell to the floor with a force that occasioned her a severe blow on the forehead. But he quitted the room without attempting to raise her, whose attention was called from herself by a deep groan from Madame Montoni, who continued otherwise unmoved in her chair, and had not fainted. Emily, hastening to her assistance, saw her eyes rolling and her features convulsed. Having spoken to her without receiving an answer, she brought water and supported her head while she held it to her lips, but the increasing convulsion soon compelled Emily to call for assistance. On her way through the hall in search of Annette, she met Montoni, whom she told what had happened. "'and conjured to return and comfort her aunt, "'but he turned silently away "'with a look of indifference "'and went out upon the ramparts. "'At length she found old Carlo and Annette, "'and they hastened to the dressing-room "'where Madame Montoni had fallen on the floor "'and was lying in strong convulsions. "'Having lifted her into the adjoining room "'and laid her on the bed, "'the force of her disorder "'still made all their strength necessary to hold her, "'while Annette trembled and sobbed and old Carlo looked silently and piteously on as his feeble hands grasped those of his mistress, till, turning his eyes upon Emily, he exclaimed, "'Good God, Signora, what is the matter?' Emily looked calmly at him and saw his inquiring eyes fixed on her, and Annette, looking up, screamed loudly, for Emily's face was stained with blood, which continued to fall slowly from her forehead." but her attention had been so entirely occupied by the scene before her that she had felt no pain from the wound. She now held a handkerchief to her face, and notwithstanding her faintness, continued to watch Madame Montoni, the violence of whose convulsions was abating, till at length they ceased and left her in a kind of stupor. "'My aunt must remain quiet,' said Emily. "'Go, good Carlo.' If we should want your assistance, I will send for you. In the meantime, if you have an opportunity, speak kindly of your mistress to your master. Alas, said Carlo, I have seen too much. I have little influence with the Signor. But do, dear lady, take some care of yourself. That is an ugly wound, and you look sadly. Thank you, my friend, for your consideration, said Emily, smiling kindly. The wound is trifling. It came by a fall. Carlo shook his head and left the room, and Emily, with Annette, continued to watch by her aunt. "'Did my lady tell the signor what Ludovico said, Memswell?' asked Annette in a whisper. But Emily quieted her fears on the subject. "'I thought what this quarreling would come to,' continued Annette. "'I suppose the signor has been beating my lady.' "'No, no, Annette, you are totally mistaken.' Nothing extraordinary has happened. Why, extraordinary things happen here so often, mademoiselle, that there is nothing in them. Here is another legion of those ill-looking fellows come to the castle this morning. Hush, Annette, you will disturb my aunt. We will talk of that by and by. They continued watching silently, till Madame Montoni uttered a low sigh when Emily took her hand and spoke soothingly to her, but the former gazed with unconscious eyes, and it was long before she knew her niece. Her first words then inquired for Montoni, to which Emily replied by an entreaty that she would compose her spirits, and consent to be kept quiet, adding that if she wished any message to be conveyed to him, she would herself deliver it. No, said her aunt faintly, no, I have nothing new to tell him, Does he persist in saying I shall be removed from my chamber? Emily replied that he had not spoken on the subject, since Madame Montoni heard from him, and then she tried to divert her attention to some other topic, but her aunt seemed to be inattentive to what was said, and lost in secret thoughts. Emily, having brought her some refreshment, now left her to the care of Annette, and went in search of Montoni, whom she found on a remote part of the rampart conversing among a group of the men described by Annette. They stood round him with fierce yet subjugated looks, while he, speaking earnestly and pointing to the walls, did not perceive Emily, who remained at some distance, waiting till he should be at leisure, and observing involuntarily the appearance of one man, more savage than his fellows, who stood resting on his pike, and looking over the shoulders of a comrade at Montoni to whom he listened with uncommon earnestness. This man was apparently of low condition, yet his looks appeared not to acknowledge the superiority of Montoni, as did those of his companions, and sometimes they even assumed an air of authority, which the decisive manner of the Signor could not repress. Some few words of Montoni then passed in the wind, and as the men were separating, she heard him say, "This evening; then begin the watch at sunset." At sunset signor, replied one or two of them, and walked away, while Emily approached Montoni, who appeared desirous of avoiding her, but though she observed this, she had courage to proceed. She endeavored to intercede once more for her aunt, representing to him her sufferings, and urged the danger of exposing her to a cold apartment in her present state. She suffers by her own folly, said Montoni, and is not to be pitied. She knows how she may avoid these sufferings in future. If she is removed to the turret, it will be her own fault. Let her be obedient and sign the writings you heard of, and I will think no more of it. When Emily ventured still to plead, he sternly silenced and rebuked her for interfering in his domestic affairs, but at length dismissed her with this concession, that he would not remove Madame Montoni on the ensuing night but allow her till the next two to consider whether she would resign her sentiments, or be imprisoned in the east turret of the castle. Where she shall find, he added, a punishment she may not expect. Emily then hastened to inform her aunt of this short respite and of the alternative that awaited her, to which the latter made no reply, but appeared thoughtful while Emily, in consideration of her extreme languor, wished to soothe her mind by leading it to less interesting topics, and though these efforts were unsuccessful, and Madame Montoni became peevish, her resolution on the contended point seemed somewhat to relax, and Emily recommended, as her only means of safety, that she should submit to Montoni's demand. You know not what you advise, said her aunt. "'Do you understand that these estates will descend to you at my death "'if I persist in a refusal?' "'I was ignorant of that circumstance, madame,' replied Emily. "'But the knowledge of it cannot withhold me from advising you "'to adopt the conduct which not only your peace, "'but I fear your safety requires. "'And I entreat that you will not suffer a consideration "'comparatively so trifling to make you hesitate a moment in resigning them. "'Are you sincere, niece?' "'Is it possible that you can doubt it, madame?' "'Her aunt appeared to be affected. "'You are not unworthy of these estates, niece,' said she. "'I would wish to keep them for your sake. "'You show a virtue I did not expect.' "'How have I deserved this reproof, madame?' said Emily scornfully. "'Reproof?' replied madame Matoni. "'I meant to praise your virtue.' "'Alas, here is no exertion of virtue,' rejoined Emily. "'For here is no temptation to be overcome.' "'Yet, Monsieur Valancourt,' said her aunt, "'Oh, Madame,' interrupted Emily, "'anticipating what she would have said, "'do not let me glance on that subject. "'Do not let my mind be strained "'with a wish so shockingly self-interested.' "'She immediately changed the topic "'and continued with Madame Montoni till she withdrew to her apartment for the night. At that hour, the castle was perfectly still, and every inhabitant of it, except herself, seemed to have retired to rest. As she passed along the wide and lonely galleries, dusky and silent, she felt forlorn and apprehensive of, she scarcely knew what. But when, entering the corridor, she recollected the incident of the preceding night a dread seized her, lest a subject of alarm similar to that which had befallen Annette should occur to her, and which, whether real or ideal, would, she felt, have an almost equal effect upon her weakened spirits. The chamber to which Annette had alluded, she did not exactly know, but understood it to be one of those she must pass on the way to her own, and sending a fearful look forward to the gloom, she stepped lightly and cautiously along, till, coming to a door from whence issued a low sound, she hesitated and paused, and during the delay of that moment her fears so much increased that she had no power to move from the spot. Believing that she heard a human voice within, she was somewhat revived, but in the next moment the door was opened, and a person, whom she conceived to be Montoni, appeared who instantly started back and closed it, though not before she had seen, by the light that burned in the chamber, another person, sitting in a melancholy attitude by the fire. Her terror vanished, but her astonishment only began, which was now roused by the mysterious secrecy of Montoni's manor, and by the discovery of a person whom he thus visited at midnight in an apartment which had long been shut up and of which such extraordinary reports were circulating. While she thus continued hesitating, strongly prompted to watch Montoni's motions, yet fearing to irritate him by appearing to notice them, the door was again opened cautiously and as instantly closed as before. She then stepped softly to her chamber, which was the next one to this, but, having put down her lamp, returned to an obscure corner of the corridor, to observe the proceedings of this half-seen person and to ascertain whether it was indeed Montoni. Having waited in silent expectation for a few minutes, with her eyes fixed on the door, it was again opened and the same person appeared, whom she now knew to be Montoni. He looked cautiously round without perceiving her, then, stepping forward, closed the door and left the corridor. Soon after, Emily heard the door fastened on the inside and she withdrew to her chamber, wondering at what she had witnessed. It was now twelve o'clock. As she closed her casement, she heard footsteps on the terrace below, and saw imperfectly, through the gloom, several persons advancing who passed under the casement. She then heard the clink of arms, and in the next moment the watchword, when recollecting the command she had overheard from Montoni, and the hour of the night, she understood that these men were, for the first time, relieving guard in the castle. Having listened till all again was still, she retired to sleep. End of Volume 2, Chapter 9, Part 2 of 2